Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Here's a cool fact: a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact: you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. <laughs> second captain, first captain, whatever. Ireland-England used to be a rivalry. Now it's just a neat way for us to celebrate one of our most popular ever rugby players getting to 100 caps. Hello and welcome to today's <laughs> Second Captain's Podcast. Hello there, Ken. Hello there, Simon. Hey, Murph. Hey, Ken. Hello. Murph, how you doing, Simon? How are you? Just really honoured that England decided to, to show up for the Keith Earls testimonial. You know, it was just uh, just ridiculous. Uh, the just about the, showed up, by the way. Yeah, exactly. I mean, they, they fulfilled the, the fixture uh, contractually. Uh, the seeds in the final minutes as Keith Earls ran in that brilliant try to seal a 29-10 win for Ireland that flattered England quite a bit were absolutely unbelievable and sent us off on our travels over the course of the next six weeks with a proper pep in our step. We'll be talking about that in just a few minutes with Rory O'Connor of the Irish Independent. But Earl Z. Simon, was he a little shocked himself at the reception he got? Uh, because it was like... Uh, the roof nearly came off on a couple of different occasions on, uh, on Saturday. Yeah, like it was one of those sleepy pre-season kind of things anyway, you know, and I don't think expectations were too high. And then it's just the fact that he got on, that's that's the thing we're all happy with. But then the, the style of the try, I think, just caught everybody off guard because it didn't look like he'd get in the corner. Beautiful pass out to him from Bundy. didn't look like he'd get in the corner. But then to do it with that style, but a style that was necessary, if you know what I mean, as in for him to yep. escape the, the tacklers, he had to do it. And we haven't actually seen much of him. He's been injured for so long. He obviously came in with Munster at the end of last season. But because of his age um, and because he was injured for so much of last season, you're kind of writing him off. And there was, there was even newspaper articles written that he essentially retired at the end of last season, maybe just on the assumption of age and injuries and all the rest. But then for him to come back and do that against England, 100th cap, it's almost too good to be true. And he, as we've had him on the show over the years a couple of times, Murph, he's kind of a shy fella. But I think I was trying to think last week why he's so loved beyond being a great rugby player. And it's that he has no veneer. Like some players uh, are trained within an inch of their lives and are dull as a result. 
he whether people have tried it with him or not I don't know but it just it's bounced off him and he's the yeah. same person he was when he started you just don't get any sense of um, oh my god I'm, I'm a big rugby player I have to watch what I say he's said just honest things over the years never anything that's got himself in trouble his book is absolutely brilliant I mean it's one of the best rugby autobiographies that we've ever produced and just a, an insight into guy you're going how did you achieve all you achieved with those uh, the physical issues we didn't know about and obviously uh, mental health struggles off the field so just a very likable fellow when you meet him but I think the big thing no veneer whatsoever he just is what he is yeah uh, I mean I don't often say that videos shot by major corporations or sporting organizations tell me a lot about someone but um, I'm sure you've seen this, Simon. The IRFU released a video on mm. Friday with Conor Murray, Johnny Sexton and Peter O'Mahony uh, talking about what Keith Earls meant to them as teammates. And uh, it got pretty emotional at the end. Big occasion for his family as well. Um, you know, they've, they've been through a huge amount of, of, of his ups and downs as well. And um, I'm sure Adele and, and the girls and his, his mum and dad will... Uh, They'll all be very proud of him, like we are. Cheers. Peter O'Mahony there, uh, eyes glistening, eager to wrap up the filming of it after as well. To which all I can say is... Are you surprised at my tears, sir? You look like an egg. Strong men also cry. <laughs> Strong men also cry. Fuck it, a man. <laughs> Fuck it, a. <laughs> we're not. We're not laughing at rugby player crying. We just really want to play that clip. Yeah, uh, I nearly shed a tear myself watching it. To be honest, I mm. mean, it was unbelievably heartfelt from the three lads, and I actually kind of feel sorry for the next person to uh, to get to one hundred caps. You know, because if if any of the if the RFU come up with some boilerplate nonsense to celebrate that man's career. We'll know that what we, this is what it's this is what it's supposed to look like. This is what it's supposed to feel like. Uh, but I think that there is something unique about Earls and about his place in Irish rugby. The fact that he comes from Moy Ross, uh, mm. it, just all of that. I think it's all, it all kind of fed in to make uh, to make Saturday pretty pretty special. That's it, Murph. And the cheer for his try is one of the loudest I've ever heard in Lansdowne Road. I mean, ever going back to when I start going to games in the eighties when I was a kid. And it was a different sort of cheer, if you know what I mean. It was as loud as anything I've heard, but, you know, some are like, yes, we're crushing our enemy, or you just made a beautiful move or scored a great try. This one was like, we really like you, and we want our cheer to represent that we really like you, which is actually quite rare in a stadium. And I was thinking about the game as well. Like, Ireland didn't play great. They were just way better than England. Scored beautiful tries. But the main ambition, or maybe the main objective for a game like this is, well, one, avoid injuries, and we don't know about Dan Sheehan yet. We'll talk to Rory about that. But the other one was everyone going away from the stadium, players and fans and coaches feeling good about themselves. And thanks to the tries, Hanson and Ringrose and the rest, but actually mainly down to Keith Earls' personality, his style of play and the way he finished that try. Uh, we'll obviously be giving our World Service members the very best coverage throughout the Rugby World Cup starting next month and the entire run-in from right now. So why don't you have a think about signing up? If you go to secondcaptains.com forward slash join, you'll be given the most up-to-date digital advice on how to make your audio dreams come true for just five euro a month plus fat. We think you'd knock a bit of crack out of it, but then again, we're a little biased. Now, I don't know if either of you lads were watching Kira McGeehan and Rashida Adeleke doing their thing this weekend and looking pretty relaxed while they were doing mm-hmm. it at the World Athletics Championships. Mm-hmm. I mean, so. Adeleke is just, she's just, I mean, she was, she's apparently she was panicking, Ken, 
200 meters in. <laughs> I have to say, even though she didn't look like she was in the lead, I was not panicking. But uh, she did kind of have to remind herself that uh, she was in a world championships, I think. But uh, yeah, she uh, strode to victory thereafter. That's that's uh, mad that she was panicking. I didn't realize that because just her body language, well, particularly for the last 100 meters, yeah. so was ridiculously well, relaxed. I, I, <laughs> I think panicking maybe might be stretching it. I think more it was uh, a realization that like, oh, I'm actually going to have to like, you know, step it up here a little, you know. But uh, she's drawn in the first of three semifinals at uh, 12 minutes past eight tonight, Irish time. Uh, this time, knowing only the top two plus the two fastest losers will make Wednesday's final. Uh, but I'd tune in because it's a lot of fun watching her race. Uh, now, we solved a mystery on our RT radio show over the weekend and broke a world exclusive at the same time. The great Irish playwright Enda Walsh was our guest. Not only will he go down in history as one of our greatest writers ever, he will also go down as one of the greatest mascots ever because Enda Walsh was McCool, the Irish wolfhound in the Irish kit, Back around Euro 88, Italian 90. You remember it, you remember it well, of course. That was Enda Walsh. Country still really, <laughs> I mean, Murph. This still boggles my mind four or five days after I first discovered the truth. He gave us a fascinating interview, culminating in his McCool bombshell. And among his amazing mascot-related stories from the Big Jack era, we particularly love this one on how he got lost on the streets of Scaries. Scary, Simon. Great place to get on lost. On the way to an Opal public appearance with Jack Charlton himself. So I'm walking down the road and I'm, suddenly I'm thinking, oh God, I'm walking with sort of Jack Charlton here. And then we turn around looking for the others and they're gone. And we're walking, like looking for these people. And Jack goes, Jesus, they're gone. And there's no mobile phones or anything like that. So we went into this pub and the pub was empty and there was a pool table there. And he ordered a couple of pints. He said, do you want a pint? I said, yeah, I'll have a pint of Guinness. And, he, and, and so we had two points of Guinness and he says, do you play pool? And I said, yeah, not very well, but I'll play pool. He was an excellent pool player. So, of course, right. the, like, honestly, within half an hour, you know, there's like the, the place is busy. But before, you know, like people start arriving, I had a half an hour with Jack Charlton around this pool table playing pool, which he completely beat me all the time. But he was asking me, he was sort of saying, so do you want to do this with, for the rest of your life? <laughs> I said, yeah, I mean, please, God, you know, you know, I might, you know, change animals, you know, become an elephant one day. And, uh, and, and I said, no, you know, I said, I really want to be a writer. I w- want to write. And he was going, oh, that's great. That's really interesting. And I was going, yeah, I said, I've, you know, I've been writing since I was 14, but that's the thing I want to do, you know, like ultimately, you know, like is write theatre and write film and stuff like that. And he was very sweet and he was like, well, good for you, you know, and all the rest and goodwill and all that type of carry on. And then, you know, the FAI sort of turned up and completely ruined it. Would you have pegged Jack as an absolute pool shark, Ken? Mm, I'm not surprised. I wouldn't be yeah, surprised by I that at all. I that Leeds team did. <laughs> they, they would have spent a lot of time in, let's say, you know, establishments that might have... A, and I'm not just talking about a pub. Pool halls generally. You know, I could see them all kind of sitting around playing pool in the 1970s in Leeds. There's just something about it. Either way, I wasn't even remotely surprised about that part of our chat with Enda Walsh. Uh, search Second Captain Saturday wherever you get your podcasts. Conan last week, Enda Walsh this week, and a whole host of other brilliant non Two career guests. highlights in a row, Merv. Well, they were pretty good. They were both pretty good. Uh, and we'll try and keep the standard up for the next three or four weeks as well. A whole host of other brilliant non-supporting guests for you to listen back to uh, on our podcast feed. They go all the way back to 2017, I think. So loads of options there. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. 
That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Uh, Rob Herring with the line of throw for Ireland on the England 10 metre line, far side. The ball is swept back. Here comes Keith Earls, gathers it now, races inside the 22 metre line, goes for the corner. Earls, far side of the pitch, looks to touch it down, in for the try. Far side of the pitch, 22 minutes gone. Keith Earls with the try. Flown over the tail end of the line out, across on the far side. Liveliest man in the entire place was the Ireland fellow on the wing. His name is Keith Earls. Ireland's last home game before departing for the Rugby World Cup was happily, gloriously overshadowed by Keith Earls' 100th cap. Rory O'Connor was there for the Irish Independent and he's here with us now. Rory, how are you? Very well, thanks, Kieran. Uh This might not have been an amazing Irish performance, but it was a very feel-good evening in the Aviva, which I think maybe is like almost as important in the run-up to Rugby World Cups, maybe? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's obviously the, the final farewell to Dublin and they play Samoa in Bayonne this Saturday but I think Andy Farrell is kind of looking at it as going, we need to be ready in five weeks rather than two weeks. And I get the sense from the way they've been kind of playing, even the fact that their line out fell to pieces a little bit on Saturday, but maybe it's a bit strong, but it wasn't great that they're, they're, build, they're going to build into the tournament, which carries some risks. But we saw enough on Saturday not to be concerned. And while it was a fairly average 80 minutes, there was five exceptional moments of attacking quality, which elevated Ireland far, far above anything England could do. Um, an England team that's probably further down the track because they have to start with a, their first game is their, their biggest pool game. So they should be ahead of where Ireland are at. And then you had this wonderful moment at the end where Keith Earls comes on to this massive roar, which outdid anything that was done on the day until he leaped for glory on the back of a, a sensational Bundiaki pass and gave the day the moments that everyone, like already these games are always forgettable. But I think that moment will will be one that we all will look back on because he's such a popular figure. The RFU kind of built the whole fixture around them. Andy Farrell probably built the week around them in, in the way that he does. And he del- delivered in the way he's done so many times during his Ireland career. And it was just a lovely moment. And it gave, it elevated what was a fairly bog standard event. I know Simon was there as well. The, like the atmosphere was, it was yeah. a lot of chatter. A lot of a lot of people having conversations. Fifty, you know that sound that yeah, goes around yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, until those moments, and that that gave it like it was a great way to say goodbye to Dublin. But look, they've loads to get better at. But we know they can get better. It's, I don't think it's worrying almost. You know, as we discussed before, being an you know an Irish man of forty, having seen so many World Cups go wrong, like it, it all seems a little bit too serene. And there's one or two injuries and one or two things, but it, like they're in a really good good place going over there. Yeah, we'll stick with Earls for a second though, um, because. 
the try was were, it was a brilliant finish, like a genuinely brilliant. I, I saw a couple of people calling it showboating. It was actually the only way he could finish the try. You know, like yeah. uh, like it yeah. was it, it was uh, it was a brilliant finish. I love and when so, a creative moment is the only way something can work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, and that, like that was it's exactly a Dan it. Roulette or something. You know, it's it's like the only way they can get out of that space is with this bit of creativity. Even if it was showboating, what harm? You yeah, know, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's his hundred cap. He scored a try for his country. Maybe his last time he ever plays for Ireland. I, I think he may have played his way into the squad. But you know, like I thought, people are too take things too seriously sometimes. Everyone loves it. Yeah, I, I think there was the most important thing that it showed was that he's still good. You know that this was. You know it wasn't. And you know whether he makes the squad or doesn't make the squad. I mean, a lot of good Irish rugby players won't be in the the rugby world cup squad this this time around. So, you know, it wasn't kind of a, a let's wheel him out for his 100th cap. Like he's a genuinely still and like a really really talented rugby player and he would have something to offer if if he if he travels to France. Absolutely. Yeah, and it's not just behind the scenes where he is very very important and Andy Farrell really values what he brings and the young players look up to him. He went on a tour in 2017 when James Ryan and, and Jacob Stockdale and Andrew Porter were being brought on an Irish tour for the first time and he and Keen Healy were the two senior players and, and they all raved about the way he trained, the way he set an example around the place. And that's really important. You can't just go to a World Cup based on that. And I was a little bit concerned. I kind of came into the summer thinking he was going to go because Farrell trusts him so much. And he, I think he's Ireland's record World Cup try scorer. And, you know, he's always delivered on big moments whenever he's been picked. But, you know, the way the injuries broke from last year, there was a bit of a concern that he might not be ha- quite still have it at 35. And then, you know, he played against Italy and he wasn't, he was okay, like he did okay. And, and up until the moment he got run over by Tommaso Manicello, um, he looked like he probably, you know, didn't, hadn't done himself any harm. But in that moment, you were just wondering whether, if it's a straight shootout between himself and McCluskey, for example, whether Farrell would take the bigger, younger man who can stand up in heavy traffic. And then you see what he's able to do on Saturday. And, and you you wonder about whether Farrell's going to go 18 14 in terms of backs and forwards or. Or uh, nineteen fifteen, sorry, eighteen fifteen or nineteen fourteen. It's 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 all up in the air a little bit, but certainly there's no doubt that if they pick him on the wing, I, I wouldn't pick him in the centre anymore. I just think that's not going to work. Maybe against Romania, you could get away with it, but um, against the bigger teams in Ireland, are pretty much playing against big teams throughout this tournament. I'd have my concerns, but if you have him on the wing, we saw it in the Stormers in the final for Munster in the URC final. He was he stood up like after loads of injuries, he came back and was really good in that game. And he, he's a leader in that squad, a quiet leader, but he, he's an example to everyone. I think they all admire him and look up to him. And, you know, on, on, on the balance of everything, I think Farrell, everything we know about Farrell suggests that he will decide that, that, that Earls at 35 still has something to offer to this squad. There's something as well about his journey that I think might appeal to Farrell as a selection in the squad. Just, I mean, there's one thing a guy who's, gone through a rough time and is still trying to figure it out I think Stockdale and his rough time is injuries Earls as we know if you've read his book or anything about him that he's he's had troubles off the field as well he struggles with his mental health struggle with his physical health obviously for long periods of time but if somebody can come through all that and find a way around it figure themselves out figure out their injuries and come back to form again there's a greater level of trust in that sort of player than somebody who's yet to go through that sort of journey Absolutely, absolutely. I think Farrell sees some of himself in in Keith Earls. You know, like one of the few working class players in the in the squad. Uh, you know, Earls talked about how Farrell saw that Earls would struggle with some of the way that that messages were being delivered and, and tailored it to him. And, and and you know, was aware that that he wasn't that comfortable getting up and and kind of solving things in front of a room. And and, and 
that's the human side of Andy Farrell that that I think stands out as you know as as his time goes on that he's able to identify that and work with that. Now, like he was asked whether you know how, what about you know how was his relationship with Keith Earls on the eve of his hundred cap, and he kind of shrugged it off and said, "I have a good relationship with all the players, but it's nothing special." But I do think he values Earls very highly. Um, but he's also yeah you know, he's been reasonably ruthless over the the last couple of years as well. If he doesn't feel like you know, there, there, there is a, there is mm. another side of the story where, where he look, we're going to give Keith this hundred cap, and that's what we'll build the England fixture about, yeah. and then we'll say thank you and good luck. But like a lack of ruthlessness won't be a problem, Danny Farrell. Oh, I don't think so. And I, look, look at that back three that started. Ireland know who's going to be playing back three at the World Cup if they're fit. You know, Keith Earls is going as a squad member. He can't. There's no way he breaks into that Mac Hansen or, or James Low axis. Like they're operating on a different level to anyone really apart from maybe the All Blacks and in fairness the Springbok back three were very good against Wales on Saturday but they're doing things that no one can do in the Ireland squad excuse me and and like Keith Earls you know is a brilliant player in, in many in many facets of the game but he can't do what Mac Hansen or James Lowe are doing right now at 35 so um, but there's a certain amount of, of security that he can take from the fact that his starting wingers are playing so well and look, if he has to go to Earls, if one of them goes down, they'll, he'll bring something different. But he also has Jimmy O'Brien there as well, who can, who's that Swiss Army knife who can go across the back line. So there's a lot of comfort in that. But look, I like it was just it was a magnificent moment for Earls. But it also was a it wasn't just a testimonial feel. He delivered, and you know, if you think about how much one moment did for Ross Byrne in terms of that kick against Australia, Earl does like yeah. these big moments. He, he he values them. He sees them as being pretty important. So we'll see. Like there's a lot. There's a lot of questions about like very few positions over the next week. Farrell's said he's going to pick the squad essentially before the Samoa game um, mm. and announce it afterwards. Uh, good luck to him keeping that under wraps. It'll be it'll be tricky, especially with disappointed <laughs> players. But whether he informs them or not, he's leaving it all quite open and opaque at the moment. Hanson and Lowe were probably our two best players, Rory. And just the sheer variety of what they put out on the pitch at the weekend was phenomenal. Like I'm just thinking back to, you know, great wingers through the years, Irish or otherwise. And there's actually very few creative wingers, guys who actually, there's brilliant finishers and they might come in between the centres or they might come in at out half, but guys who actually create, have ideas and then execute. Yeah, like there's not that many teams playing like this in, in the sport, you know. I know France have, have a bit of it um, and also like, you know, their, their wingers could jackal as well and they're all, they're all action. But really, Andy Farrell and Mike Cadiff, seen something in the game and identified players like low you could see a mile off everyone was waiting for him to qualify to play for Ireland but Mac Hansen you know he was drifting in the Australian system and got picked up by Connacht you know Andy Friend's knowledge of of the of the Canberra rugby scene and 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 a stroke of luck and 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 a bit of intelligence from Andy Friend gets him across and Andy Farrell fast tracked him into the team and he played a bit of 10 as a young player and there he is delivering a cross kick pinpoint cross kick to Gary Ringrose for a try in the test match and you know he's been man in a match He's nearly like you know he's getting he'll get more upset like he's he's been a man of the matches as a winger which we know as <laughs> an Irish player is very very difficult but like he's the handsome he's exception telling yeah yes exactly proves the rule yeah. you know he's everywhere he pops up and like they're such an exciting team to watch like we've had brilliant Irish teams we've arguably had better collections of individuals we have you know like you know the the team of the the noughties was just such a brilliant collection of individuals like O'Connell O'Driscoll all the big names that you know that golden so called golden generation and. This team are just so good to watch, and they've got X Factor players like Hansen, like and I hate that word, but like they just get you off your seat. They you never know when Jemison Gibson Park looks up from a rook. He has so many options, and the defense like England were bamboozled by them the other day, and that's without the forwards really playing. You know, like Dan Sheehan mm. 
Adnan Sheehan a full pelt, hopefully, you know, hopefully he gets through this injury. And you've got like the world's best attacking hooker, you know, who can score tries from from anywhere. You've got Ryan Baird to come into the mix, you know, an explosive back row athlete as well. You've got a mall that can, you know, occupy a pack that really didn't get going on Saturday. And then you've got these two guys who went sextons there as well. You've got like one of the best out halves that's ever played the game, who's got the support of two, you know, one secondary out half who can come in anywhere. And then this almost unstoppable force in James Lowe, who just has this incredible attitude and he keeps popping up looking for more and more and more. And he's impossible to put down. It's such a compelling backline. And then you've got Ringrose and Aki, who looked really sharp as well. Like Aki delivering that. What was it? A 30 meter pass out to Earls? You know, an mm. underrated part of his game, like against 14 men at the end of a warm up international, fair enough. But he still showed that he was able to do it. And he looked really lean and fit. And even, you know, like the HIA, like he ran off, ran back on. He wanted to play. You know, you, you hope he passed it and all that, you know, that, that everything was fine. Yeah. It looked, he looked like he was fine. But just the attitude that he had across the board. Ireland have threats and none more so than those two players. And and they're just a joy to watch, you know, like in a fairly turgid game, they gave these moments of un- unbridled quality and like England just looked like they were playing a different sport. Roy, I remember when we first picked low, or Ireland first picked low, it's like, oh, we've, we've got a proper loose cannon in the team. And then Mac Hansen came on the scene and we we're like, well, we can't possibly have two loose cannons in the team. We've never <laughs> done that before. But what Farrell has done, I think, because they're both way better players than they were when they played in Australia and New Zealand, I think it would be fair to say. And that's part of the Irish system, but also what Farrell and Cat and the rest have done and obviously the provincial systems. But I sort of feel like Farrell saw what they could do in attack and reckon I can figure what they do wrong in defence and he obviously sent Lowe off to figure that out. Hansen has kind of figured it out on the run as he's getting Ireland caps. But he defended really well at the weekend, Hansen, which I, I he sometimes doesn't look muscular enough for international rugby, but actually he did look at the, at the weekend and whatever else you say about England, they are a physically strong team. And I just sort of feel like I love that Farrell accepted their flaws and reckoned he could fix their weaknesses. Yeah, well, he said about, I think it was during one of the years where they were struggling, he kind of said, I don't want want these wingers to be tidy. You know, he, he mm-hmm. wants them to make mistakes. He wants them to force the issue and, and make good decisions. But if they're good decisions that go wrong, what harm? Because they've they've stressed, they've been unpredictable. And he wants um, his team to be unpredictable and hard to defend. And it was a big change from, from the kind of mindset under Joe where the, you know, mistakes were reviewed on the Monday and players you could see had the Monday morning review in their head as they tried to make decisions. Whereas... And that worked for Ireland a lot, a lot of the time. That prescribed way of playing was was very effective for a long time. But Ireland are far like Joe Schmidt's team was never predictable. I remember we asked Rob Howley one day after Wales had beaten Ireland in one of those Cardiff games, "Did you find Ireland predictable?" And he laughed and said, "Joe Schmidt's teams are never predictable." But it was more what Joe was thinking. Now it's what Mac Hansen and James Lowe are going to do next, which is really, really different thing. Mm. And you're, I, I think Hansen looks bigger. I think the summer he's 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 they've used the preseason to build him up a little bit more. Um, Low, you're right. Like Low was was dropped, and he's talked about it. But I mean, Low was very close to winning an All Black cap before he before he came to Ireland. The only injury deprived him of that. So like he was very highly rated in New Zealand. He was a real steal from the IRFU. That was a great deal to get him over to Leinster. Whether you agree with the project player system or not, he is an incredible signing. You know, which uh, you know he's added so so much to to the Irish setup setup. And then you know Hansen's almost a money ball acquisition. You know, qualified through his mother, but. They've spotted something there that no one else saw. Australia must be absolutely like if they're not doing a forensic investigation as to how this guy slipped through their net, um, they're not doing their jobs because it's uh he's he's so good. But no, like only Andy Friend really 
spotted it and it's such a like his gift he, as he makes his way across Europe on his kind of inter or his in his camper van he can quite happily know that if nothing else and he has a quite a big legacy he's given this gift to Irish rugby yeah uh, the line out and Dan Sheehan were probably the negatives uh, the line out we, we presume can be fixed even though it, it was very shaky and it was worrying to see uh, on Saturday but Sheehan would be a huge loss wouldn't he if if this foot injury turns out to be as serious as we're we're maybe fearing but not uh, you know like we don't know we we and this is a situation we won't know but it did look a little worrying yeah we're operating a little bit of a vacuum and they do say there's a bit of there's an update at some stage coming today but um what Andy Farrell said about it after game was was he said he lost power in his foot which is what he said about Jack Conan as well and they do expect Jack Conan to be fit to travel and, and he won't play against Samoa this week but he could feature against Romania. You'd imagine they won't rush him back for Romania unless he's fully fit. But that gives it a five-week timeline. So if we're taking it that it's the same injury, then you're talking about Dan Sheehan not playing until the South Africa game. And then you're, you have a decision to make as to whether you carry one hooker who's injured and two who are fit, which is quite tight, even though you have the luxury of Keane Healy who can jump in there. And like, you know, all three of us, any of us could play against Romania at the moment. They're really terrible. Like they're they're losing to teams who haven't qualified. I mean, for the we World get Cup. badly, badly injured. <laughs> yes, yes, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But we fill we'd fill a spot on the bench probably. But you know, but like Romania are not like Ireland. Don't have to worry about that fixture. That that Romania are really struggling at the moment. I think they lost one of the best players on the weekend as well. So like you could carry Sheehan injured, but the problem is Ronan Keller has also got a hamstring issue. So this could cost Ronan Keller his place because Ronan Keller here hasn't been able to demonstrate that he's able to play back-to-back for two years really now and you've got Herring who's never let Ireland down is definitely going to go and Tom Stewart who I think he played about 30 games for Ulster last year like he's he's a really good hooker very capable player like do you just bring the two Ulster guys and, and Sheehan get them through the first two games and, and hope that Sheehan is fit for for South Africa like that's the decision I think he has to make this week assuming that it comes comes up in the scans that he can play at that point I think anything beyond South Africa you can't really take him and that'd be a huge loss because he is an exceptional, exceptional player. And um, we have Ireland have very good hookers, but Dan Sheehan is, you know, is one of those players like Doris, Hanson, Lowe, Sexton, who elevates this team beyond what other teams can do. You know, mm-hmm. the two tries he scored against England in the Grand Slam game, the two tries he scored in the Heineken Champions Cup final. The fact that I'm talking about a hooker who can score two tries in big games all the time and not just at the back of malls just shows what a brilliant brilliant talent he is and it would be such I know he's only 24 but you just never know to rob him of that, this opportunity when he is playing such good good rugby will be an awful shame the the line out um, is definitely fixable they have to fix it I mean it's it, it's not it's no good saying it's fixable they have to actually get it but I just get the sense that maybe because of the timelines I talked about earlier they just haven't given it that much attention in the build up that they've been focusing on other things you know Paul O'Connell is not going to get let that slide but the repeat offences I think are the big issue World Rugby are hot on two things around the mall. You're not allowed, the, the, the guys who are going to hit the mall are not allowed to leave early in order to hit it with momentum. They've got to stay in until the ball is caught. When the ball is thrown, a lot of teams, the, the guys who are not involved in the pod that's lifting will leave the line out early, come around and then smash the mall to try and get there early and get momentum into it. And World Rugby are saying, no, you're not allowed to do, to do that. You've got to stay in until the ball is caught or at least the ball is thrown in. I think that's one thing they're hot on. That's not what Ireland are falling foul on, but it's one to watch out for because there's been a lot of penalties in games over that. And the, the one that Ireland are falling foul of is a thing called double banking, which is when the lifter, when he comes, to, when the when the lifted player lands, the lifter is coming across behind them to stop, say, Maro Atoje swimming through the middle. And it's it's effectively obstruction. Um, so it means that there's a if if both lifted lift lifters can get into that space, 
there's no way England or any team can get through the middle and try and turn over the ball. So it's giving uh, a, a huge advantage to the, the attacking mall. And attacking malls are so hard to stop. So World Rugby are trying to make it a contest. And Ireland keep falling foul of this penalty. Now, James Ryan said that England manoeuvred Ireland's mall into, the, into, in, into a position where I think it was him actually who ended up in that, in that space. But that's mm. something they have to solve. It's, very, it's quite technical, but if we don't want the World Cup where teams are just kicking to the corner and mauling over, I think it's quite an important intervention by World Rugby. It's, it's, I think it is a positive one and teams have to adapt to it. Now, it might diminish what Ireland can do at the mall, but you know they've got such good options off it that they, they just need to get it right. And I think they could still be quite effective if they just adapt to it. I mean, the other thing to notice is that England were very aggressive in competing and very good and they do have Inatoje Laws and David Ribbons, very good line-out forwards, they might have been rubbish in lots of other areas, but they were good in that area. So that was difficult. And Herring and Sheehan both missed a couple, which in their first appearance, or you know, in Herring's case, their second appearance, is slightly understandable as well. Look, they 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 have they have the expertise and the time to fix all of that. I'm not in any way really concerned about it. Um, but the Sheehan one just lessens what Ireland could do at this tournament, I think. Yeah, like if you're thinking about players that have a shout of being the best in the position in the world, you're looking at Sheehan, maybe Doris, maybe Keenan. And with so much depth, as you say, at Hooker, but Sheehan is like a distance ahead at the moment, just because he's not that the rest have gotten worse. He's just gotten an awful lot better. But also, I just want to ask you about this loss of power in the foot, because you said it with Conan too. And I'd never heard that before. Now we've heard it twice in a couple of weeks. Is that like just cover for all sorts of injuries or does it hint at something else? Like Far- Farrell doesn't really do that much bull around injuries, you know, like he's generally comes in and tells you what, what, what he's been told. So I, I'm not, look, I, I have no idea. I, you know, I, like it's, it, it's an interesting trend and it's obviously at the end of a, of a preseason and, and Farrell looked a little bit miffed by it himself and I'm sure he's investigating with his medical team as to why this has happened to two of his most important players on the eve of the biggest tournament in four years. Like they, they went to Portugal last time and had a load of soft tissue injuries. And I think we understand those more for players to be losing power in their foot. is just a, a very unusual. Oh, one. Uh, yeah. And like, I know physios, you know, struggle with feet, like, you know, foot injuries have cost some big players their careers. I think Jerry Flannery was a foot injury. There's a few others who, who struggle for a long time to get over them. So they're complex. It's a complex area. Look, you know, I, I, I don't know what's the root cause of it right now, but I know they'll be concerned by it. And I, I don't think it's necessarily a, a cover. I, I do think it's just something that's happened to two players and, and whether it's just trying to go up, like they're both, both explosive athletes, Jack Cohn and Dan Sheehan, whether it's just that they were trying to step off one foot and it just wasn't there. Like it's it's a very unusual thing to happen. You know, he left the stadium in crutches and crutches on a protective boot, but we know from Katie McCabe and many others that, that not, that's not necessarily cause for alarm. But this close to a World Cup, any player being, you know, uh, being in, in, in trouble and not being able to train just may diminish what they're able to do if they do travel or it may affect their area, ability to travel as well. But I'm sure, like, they, they have a rehab specialist full-time now in Abbottstown called Einar Einarsson, an Icelandic expert. He'll be on the case. My suspicion is that Sheehan won't go to uh, be Ritz this week, that he'll be left behind to try and get scans, get to the bottom of it and get it worked out. He may join the team later in the week, but um, they'll do everything they can to get them there and to also find out whether there's a recurring issue because obviously you don't want players <laughs> crying off with the same problem over and over again mm. over the course of the next couple of weeks England Rory absolutely terrible <laughs> I mean I couldn't get over how bad they were and and yet there's still there's still a path there for them to make a semi-final at this World Cup yeah it's, it's getting harder and harder to see them not falling over on that path isn't it like that they, they I, I was at the semi-final when they destroyed New Zealand 
I've seen Maru Atoje give two of the greatest performances I've ever seen from an individual sportsman in my in my life, both in Wellington for the Lions in 2017 and in that 2019 semi-final. And a couple of times against Ireland, he's come close to those heights. And I look at him as almost a microcosm of this team. They're so, so diminished. They, these players, maybe they're just yesterday's men, but most of them, a lot of them are, are 30 and under. Like, they're not old, but they've played an awful lot of rugby. They look disinterested. They don't look like, you know, there was high balls going over their head and they just shook their shoulders and trudged along. They got caught for not retreating at one side at one time, which, you know, if your coach wants to play a game where the ball's gone over your head a lot, you got to look like you're interested in it. They looked absolutely beaten down already and they haven't even gone to the World Cup yet. It was, it was turgid. And the way they play is so predictable and boring and they're trying to do almost what the box did four years ago, but even the box have moved on and they don't have the four pack to be able to play that game. And, they have some exciting outside backs, but they never see the ball apart from going up and chasing it. And once Mac Hansen started catching the balls that rained down on them, they didn't have much else. Now, look, they're in preseason. Bortwick insists that they're going to be ready to come you know, September 9th, you know, when they play Argentina. But like, there's no, there's no reason to have any faith in that. Like, they were on the, the slide under Eddie Jones. He's taken over. I find him to be a singularly uninspiring figure whenever I listen to him speak. You know, he's a very good forwards coach by all accounts, but to be a national team head coach is such a rounded job. Um, and then to keep making these repeated mistakes with high shots, it's the third game in a row against Ireland that they've had a player sent off for foul play. Um, and like the barrister came into the press conference after the game, you know, he must be making a fortune out of him. <laughs> like he has to do two hearings at once this week, unless they bring a second person in, like this highly regarded. I know uh, Shane spoke about him last week about how intelligent he is, but he's like, He's going to earn his, his coin this week to try and get Owen Farrell and, and Billy Vinopola off. And surely that's a coaching problem that they keep. They can't address this issue. It's such a hot topic. Everyone knows it's coming. You may not agree with it. Um, you know, if you may be from a rugby league background and think that the game's gone soft. But if the ref's going to send your player off, that doesn't matter. It's not a principle thing. you got to adapt. And Ireland have adapted much better than than, than most other teams. Uh, they were... They're, they're shambles. Like the, my, my colleagues from the English press were going around the press box just absolutely depressed that they're going to have to follow this team for through a, a World Cup because there's just no optimism or, or reason for optimism that they can turn around. Mm. Uh, Samoa, uh, the Samoa game will be our B team, I presume. Is, is that how this is all the week shaping up? I No, that, we asked Andy Farrell about that and he, he said that he would, it's it's basically whoever needs game time. So anyone who's still looking rusty, um, I think it'll be a, a composite. I, I would see, see some frontliners playing. I think anyone who he thinks like Joe McCarthy's got a lot of momentum behind him. I wouldn't be surprised if he put him in with a view to him playing quite a big role because he's played really well in these warm-up games. But just thinking about it, you know, does James Ryan need another run? Do those, you know, the centres, like it's two weeks out from the Romania game. There's enough time to recuperate. And Samoa, I know people are, are you know, Bayonne brings back bad memories and obviously Samoa have history of kind of ill-discipline at World Cups and things. But like this Samoa team is two weeks out from their own World Cup themselves. They don't want to get suspensions. They'll be tough. They'll be hard. They'll be, you know, they'll be physical, all of that sort of stuff. But I don't think this is going to be crazy. Like, this is a game Andy Farrell wanted. He put this one in the schedule. Uh, originally, I think they only had two games in, and he said, no, we need a third game. We want to go to France. We want to replicate a World Cup week. So they're like, you know, they're getting accredited themselves. They are move, They moved at the same time they would move during a World Cup in France. They have to deal with some, like, the, the current forecast for Thursday is, or sorry, for Wednesday is 40-degree temperatures. There's a heat wave. I got an, I'm going over today. I got an email from the SNCF, the French train company, to, to warn me about the heat wave that's going on over there. So it's going to be tough, um, tough conditions for them to adapt to. But they're also in a, in a very nice part of the world in Biritz. They'll have a nice time. 
The ocean will cool you down, Rory. Well, that's the, the ocean hope. will cool that's you down. Yeah, absolutely. And the players were already in for a dip yesterday for the recovery. So, um, but I don't think, yeah, I don't think there's like there's only 38 players left. There's not much of a B team there. I th- I think he'll he'll mix and match and try a few combinations, but he'll treat it uh, the way he always does as as a proper game and um take it quite seriously. Uh, at this stage, I suppose he has to. Um, and hopefully we don't have any repeats of 07 and O'Driscoll getting his, uh, what mm. was it, his, sinus, his sinus rattled. Yeah. Okay, Rory, enjoy the south of France. Thanks a million for talking to us this morning. Thanks, guys. Timbuktu. They're all pampered. We haven't got leaders. They're all just headphones. Inside and outside, blue They don't communicate. You can't get anything out of them. That's why we're no good. They're all just headphones. They don't kick around the pitch. They don't communicate off the pitch. They're all pampered. Oh, we're getting ready for Russia. Good luck. And then after that, we'll be building a team for Timbuktu. Timbuktu. How have England reacted to that equaliser? Perfectly. Um, no panic. Calm straight down. Continue dominating the game, playing and staying in Iceland's heart. It's been the perfect response. You'd think that no problem. The only thing that they have got is the big boy up front, Sigurdsson, who really, Sigthorsson. Oh, oh my word. Oh. Tell us, talk us through that, Steve. I think we know what's happened. Oh, just say, Sigthorsson. <laughs> it's actually kind of crazy how bad England were though, Simon, weren't they? I mean, their team looked oh. like quite good on paper, but then I was like, mm. they might as well have picked Mick Skinner. You know, because like the names are not the names that we, uh, you know, we're rightfully have been afraid of over the course of the last uh, 10 or 15 years. That's it. Like how many bad days have we had against Itoje, Vunapola, Tuolagi and these guys? Tuolagi was actually kind of OK, but Vunapola, like there was, there was one stage he he dropped two passes, he'd given away two silly penalties and then he gave away the red card. And he's, he's no smaller, let's say, than he used to be when he was really good. He seems to have lost his leg drive as well. So when he goes into a tackle, he doesn't make any ground. So, And he's their only number eight or out-and-out out number eight in the squad. Who knows what will happen with this ban or whether he gets a ban or whatever. Um, but the English players, there was times the ball was bombing over their head, either from one of their own kickers or from one of the Irish. And they were kind of just looking at it like it was a game of tennis. You're watching a game of tennis on TV. Yeah. And that is their game. Like, their game is kick and chase. And they weren't doing that well. Like, it's one thing to be boring, like, say, Springboks have done in the past and really reduce your game to excellent basics. But to do that and do it badly and do it with lack of interest and energy and enthusiasm. Like, Borthwick is, Rory touched on it there, he's not just uninspired. Now, press conferences are one thing, right? So we don't know what he's like to his players. But we know he likes to coach by numbers. He's be- He's been outspoken on that. But it's one thing to be sort of uninspiring but it's another thing to be slightly odd as well like an odd personality in these press conferences and Mm. how do you mean odd it it just avoids avoids the question but to the point like a lot of coaches do that but the point where 
it's a little mad, you know. It, it, you know, we, we're trying to have a sort of coherent conversation here, and he, he, his tone of voice, everything about him is like it's like he's trying to be deliberately dull and wrap this whole thing up. I mean, that's all fine. He's under a whole load of pressure. The main problem really is just that he's disimproved an awful team. So they were quite bad in the final days of Eddie Jones. Eddie Jones kept promising, just get me to the World Cup. Who knows how that would have gone, but they've actually gotten worse under Borthwick. He was the Leicester coach. Uh, He won a weak premiership with a quite basic style of play. Saracens were kind of out of the picture at that stage. He got the England job on that premise. He's a brilliant line-out coach. Their line-out's still good, but you won't win much with just that. So I think they'll still have quite good basic scrum, line-out, possibly maul. But the rest of their, their their attack is an absolute shambles. And I don't think the players are buying into what he's saying or what he's doing. Can you believe they replaced the great Eddie Jones with this guy, Ken? I mean... Well, I'm Pearl, glad that he got rid of... The, big, Eddie was obviously the... You know, big problem for them. So now, uh, now that he's been cleared out, um, they've got their own man in there, a company man in. It, listen, the politics of uh, English rugby, Ken, would make you sick to your fucking stomach, wouldn't it? But I mean, the thing about this is, is like we're all, oh, you know, um, England are terrible, blah blah blah. The World Cup lasts for about like six months. <laughs> it is a thing that like you can play your way you into can, it. You can, you know. I mean, it's it's like how many times have we seen it? Yeah. I, mean, yeah. I remember them in two thousand and seven, wasn't it? Yeah, it was two thousand seven. The, year of, yeah. the year of Andrew Sheridan. Yeah, yeah. They were all. Yeah. They were all. I remember Stephen Jones's uh, impurpled prose about Andrew Sheridan. Yeah. Um, they, impurpled is a great word. It was. And, it was. Uh, I mean, but you know what? I'm what a man. You know, he was snapping. <laughs> Snapping people like the snap trees in Fairview Park that I was just looking at uh, earlier on this wow, morning. Wow. Yeah, uh, and that was really, a World Cup where they, where they told their coach to jog on and then got to a final. They're yeah. criticising their their coach. What was his name again? Uh, Brian, Brian Ashton. Ashton. Yeah, yeah, and he he ended up being becoming like father to the nation. You know, uh, their ultimate uh, heroic defeat in the final. So, and that I mean. What was it? Was it that they played South Africa and lost something like seven hundred nil? Yeah, that was it, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah, and, and that they, that was viewed as a discouraging result. South Africa yeah. beat us by seven hundred points, uh, but then they battled back to the final and then lost again to the South Africans. Yes, yep. but by much less. Yeah, you know. So I mean, th- these are the things that can happen. Yeah. They're I'm way surprised. more likely to make a World Cup semi final than Ireland, mm. England, even this time. Yeah. Well, yeah, the, no, that's, I think, that's I, for draw reasons other than... Uh, I'll, tell than you my, I'll tell you who my tip is for the Rugby World Cup. Hit me up. Ireland. Oh, God, here we go. <laughs> the nation just... A cold bead of sweat just ran down the nation's back there. Okay, that's pretty much it. Bold and Ken will be back with the football show in a couple of hours. Thank you, Ken. Thank you, Simon. Thank you. Thanks, Bert. Thank Thanks, Ken. You. Thanks, everybody, Thank for listening. You, if, you're, if you're with us on the World and Service, we'll chat tomorrow. And if not, we'll catch you next week. If you want some, I'll give it you. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. It is not war and death and famine, it's not that at all. It's the opposite of that, it's to persuade the world outside of that. That's why sports is important. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.